Well, why don't you guys uh, open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, I cut Jean off because I was a little concerned she was going to start going down there and I'm thinking, why am I here if she's going to do the message? I heard her praying in the prayer room earlier and I actually had to go to the back and stay there because sometimes when somebody else has taken your message, you forget it's not your message. 2 Kings chapter 6, um, actually Pastor Ben was starting to go there too, and uh, really God is good, isn't he? And he's good at confirming things, and he's good at speaking things. Pastor Jim has declared this year to be a year of dreaming dreams. I hope you're still dreaming dreams. I hope you're still saying, Lord, what about my dream? I hope you're standing there saying, God, I've got a purpose. You've got a plan for me, God, then why haven't I heard the dream that you got for me? I hope you're pressing in. I hope, as the song said, God, I'm desperate for you. Because there's got to be something that goes off in your spirit that says, God, I don't have it. But you said I'm supposed to have it. You spoke through the pastor of the church this year to dream, and I'm not getting it. Then there should be something inside of you that desperately begs and, and seeks it after God. You're not asking for something he doesn't want to give you. Do you understand that? You're not seeking for the Cadillac, the new house, this better job. You're not seeking anything different than what God already wants to have. The cool thing is, as Gene was sharing, he gives us all that other stuff sometimes too, just because God's God. But there should be something inside of you. If you've not heard the calling and the dreams of God for your life this year, the reactivations of callings that may have took place 25 years for you, If that's not happening, then you ought to start getting a little more desperate. Jesus says, knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. There should be something inside you that's desperate. God, why are you giving it to everybody else in this entire church but me? And if you're not doing that, then you will miss out on what the word of the Lord is for this place. How many here would agree with that and say, God's been activating dreams in my life? Things I thought were dormant. Things I thought God was done with. He's not done. Paul says, I have confidence. Philippians 1.6, I have confidence that he who began a good work will complete it. We need to get the levels of expectations up here. No matter what God has done, though, however, everything that he wants to do can only do with his anointing and his power. This is not about you. He's the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Everything we, we've been thinking about for the last six months has been what God wants to do. It's all because of his anointing, his power, his life flowing through you. That's why, to me, this is so exciting. Because if it's his dreams, his purposes, his plans, and has nothing to do with me, then I'm going to be an astronaut and go to the planet Mars. That's how sometimes the things God tells us to do sound. Is that not right? For me to go and leave my homeland to start traveling around the world, not interested in that, except that that's the will and the purpose of God for my life, because that costs thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And all the nations seem to be coming here anyway. Why would I need to go over to the Congo? They're already here. But if I understand that it's God's purposes, God's wills, God's anointing, then I'll press into whatever he says to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? You won't limit what God does because the power source isn't from you, it's from God. The resources is not from you, it's from God. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit 
of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you do unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. It's his power and it's borrowed power. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 1. And the sons of the prophet said to Eliza, See now, the place where you dwell is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us take, make a place there where we can dwell. And Elijah said, Go. Then one of them said, Please consent to go with your servants. And Elijah answered, I will go. And so he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But one of them was cutting down a tree. The iron axe had fell in the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it there, and he made the iron float. And he said, Therefore, pick up for yourself and reach out his hand. And he took it. Father, you always think eternal purposes. You always think generational purposes. The, the things you want to do in our life today really have nothing to do with us. It's about not just our lives, but it's about the places of work we go tomorrow. It's about the schools. It's the neighborhoods. It's the, the children, the grandchildren, the multiple generations. That's what you're thinking about. When you did this story through these prophets thousands of years ago, you were thinking of today, 2012, and how you could impact our lives through their story and the miracle you did there. Father, I pray as we put ourselves in a position to receive, we would also put ourselves in a position knowing that you do transform minds. Give us the mind of Christ Jesus. You said we could ask for whatever we want according to your will, and so we ask for the mind of Christ, that today we'd be transformed and changed into your image and likeness. And all God's people said, the title of my message is, Are You Sure Your Axe Has a Head? I've been thinking about trees a lot this week. We had a woke up, early Tuesday morning. The wind was howling. The thing was flashing through there. We had enough discernment. I just hear things in the spirit of God. God spoke to me the night before that something was going to happen to our tree. We had cabled our tree three years ago to prevent it from falling over. It wasn't damaged. We just had seen a house go get destroyed down the block about three years ago when the tree fell on it at four o'clock in the afternoon on a day like today. The Lord said, cable it. We cabled the tree up. We woke up in the morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever. I had enough discernment, we were in trouble. Kathy starts interceding. I grab her. I'll just be honest. I said, I thought, I said to her later, I figured if we're going to die, let's die together. I'm just a romantic, I guess. The wind shifted. It turned it because I had cabled it, grabbed all three of them, and it turned it a different direction and landed on my neighbor's shed took out a fence, it landed on her car, her boat, and took out her power. I'm not happy that it went there, but gave us opportunities. Kathy, we had some time to pray for her. We've been looking for opportunities to reach into their lives. And Kathy said, we got some opportunities now. We had to clean up their yard. Kathy got a chance to say, as she was, this woman was crying and saying, it's been so overwhelming for me, not the storm, but prior to it. And Kathy says, I could never get through this stuff if I didn't know Jesus Christ. And she was able to put her hands on her. And I thought, God, you're a good God. Now, I should tell you a little side story is that one block away, my daughter lives. Similar thing happened to her. And I said to Kathy, we would have lost three family members in one storm within a block from each other. God is a good God. So Pastor Sam calls me. I'm cleaning up the yard. And I'm running chainsaws. And I'm, and I'm picking up stuff. And he says, will you preach? 
And this message popped in my head, this passage here. And I thought, are you sure your axe has a head? Verse 1, the prophets, now the school of the prophets was this. Elijah had an understudy by the name of Elisha. And he said, your ministry would be greater. It would be more powerful. And here are these men that have gathered together. and It's kind of a school of the prophets. They're learning from him. Here are the mentors. This is where LEDTS started. This is where LIT started. They stole it from this example. Come alongside, train people up, send them out. That's what's going on. But what they discovered is that the place they were at was too small. People were gathering under his anointing. They wanted to understand how do they do the things that God has called them to do. So they had the school of the prophets. And they go to Elijah, verse 1, and they said, the place where we live is too small. There were more people coming in, and they asked for permission to have a roomier place. Jeremy, was, the Lord was speaking clearly there. God is a God of vision. We try to cram this 60 by 60 vision into our 3 by 5 minds. The place that you have is too small. God wants to expand your vision. He wants to blow your mind out. He wants to change and transform what you see as possible. Scripture says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is even entered in the hearts of things that God's prepared for you. If you get to the place where you believe it, you are now starting to hit that scripture. Understanding you still haven't heard what God said to do. You still haven't thought about what God wants to do. And it hasn't even entered in your heart. And so God takes you a little bit further. And you get to the place you can believe him. You've now arrived at where that scripture is true. You still haven't thought it. You have still been heard it. You still haven't understood it. Do you understand? James Dobson said this once, and it's been a seed thought in my life. He said, if you ever get to the place where you see that God could do something, I doubt if that's what God wants you to do. You've got to get to the place where, God, this is impossible. Gideon, we looked at him not too long ago. He's got this massive army that still isn't big enough to take on the army. And God says, reduce it, reduce it, reduce it. Until it gets to the point that not only is it a number of people that should never win a victory, but it's a really silly plan as far as we would think. Schwarzkopf would have never come up with that kind of battle plan and won anything. And yet that's what God wanted because he says, now I can do it. The vision that God's given you, the problem is that you have got to get out of your own understanding what that means. You've got to start seeing God using you today. This is not about visualizing. This is about believing God. It's about taking this word that we've spent the last year and a half reading through verse by verse and saying, God, you did it here. Do you still want to do it today? And the answer is yes. You've got to see yourself going to places like your workplace and praying for it and believing that God's going to change the environment. You've got to understand ahead of time what God wants to do before you ever get there. Or you'll never enter the things of God. If you wait until you need the anointing of God and the power of God, it's too late. You've got to press into God desperately, believing that he's called you to something before. The place in which most of us dwell is too small, and God's kicking the doors out. He says in Isaiah, to expand the ten pegs, I've got more for you to do. And some of you sit there and say, well, that's for somebody else. I'm telling you, listen, you get nothing out. This word is for you. The place you live is too small. You're self-centered thinking of your own stuff, and God's not thinking about you. The transformation of work that he's done in my life today over the last 10 years, last 12 years, last 54 years was not about me. It was all God was going to do through me to touch others in it. I see that every time I hold one of my grandchildren and understand that the things he did in our marriage, the things he did in our family had little to do with me. It had to do with the next generation and the next generation. Your thinking is way too small, and God wants you to change that. The cool part is he's not expecting you to do it. 
He's going to do the work. He just wants you to cooperate and quit fighting him. Verse 2, Elijah said, go, expand your boundaries, the outer limits. Go to the places God, he doesn't put limits on us, we put limits on him. Except for his sovereign will and his calling on your life, God does not put limits on us. He's saying go. He's the one saying dream. He's the one speaking through. The pastor of this church says, dream. Press in, seek me, desire the things of God. Open your heart, launch out into the deep people. Verse 3, they ask Elijah to go with him. He says, please go with us. They understood something here. Just as Moses understood in Exodus 33, Moses says, God, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. These prophets said, it's not enough for you to give us permission to go. Elisha, we know the anointing is with you. You have the power source from God. If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. So it's not enough for you to give us permission. Go. God will never send you out alone. Do you understand that? Mo and Marley, you understand that. When you're over in Thailand, just it finally, after being here 12 years, I finally figured this out. Pastor Jim is always saying, Mo and Marla is overseas, but we're with them. And I thought, no, we're not. Our checks might be with them, but they're not even with you anyway. They go through another bank, another service. It's the understanding we don't go out alone. That's why we gather together and lay hands on people. Whether they're here doing ministry or they're doing on vacation like Pastor Jim is the last few weeks. How many here have a thought about Pastor Jim today at any point? Why? Because he's in our hearts. We never go out alone. We always do things together. How many here have thought about the fact that other churches gathered today, having worship service, also seeking God? Why? Because we're part of a bigger thing. Elijah, we want you to go with us. We don't want you. We're not willing. To, we're good disciples. And because we're good disciples, we want our leader to go with us. Verse 4, they all took their own acts. They were told to take their own acts. The axe is symbolic of power. But the source of the power is in the axe head. That's where it's at. This represents us. We're just branches. We're not the power source. It's symbolic of it. You can't do the things God's called you to do naturally. You can't. You will burn out. Anyone who's been in ministry understands sometimes it literally is a 24-hour-a-day call. And you don't get any sleep. And you go from emotion to emotion and anointing to anointing. It's not your power. But this represents so many of us. We're axe handles with no head. And just like in the story, our axe head at the head is missing. And our power source is missing. And we're coming to a place of saying, it ain't working, God. Or at least I hope you are. In verse 5, the axe head flies off. Now, the man has a choice to make. Do you realize that? He can continue to sit there and whack, whack, whack at the tree, hoping nobody notices because there's a whole bunch of them, and, and maybe Elijah won't notice the fact that the axe head's up there, and he'll just keep taking whacks at the tree, and how's it going? Oh, it's going really great. Going wonderful. How's it going for you? He could go do that, whacking at the tree with a stick in his hand, or he could admit, I've lost the power. I've lost the anointing. I've lost the source of what really it's going to take to do the job that you've called me to do. He has a choice. He can go and say, God, I'm, uh, I'm one of your favorites. Or I can say, God, I don't know what happened. How many, how many here understand what I'm talking about? Sometimes you just don't know what happened. God, did you move? God didn't move. He has a choice to make. Each one of us has a choice to make today. You can continue doing in your own efforts, whacking at the trees, hoping to take it down. Or you can stop and say, God, I don't know what happened, but I want it back. 
or my axes become dull. And it's not the razor sharpness it used to be. And I'm not being as effective as I used to be. Too many people today, in my opinion, are busy for God. They're doing stuff, but symbolically they're whacking at trees with axe handles, not making a difference. Now I'll tell you this. You can take down a tree with us, or at least I can. I think I've got the physical strength to take a tree down there, but in the process the axe handle will be destroyed. The end of the thing is burnout, frustration, fruitlessness, brokenness, shatteredness, and it's not as good as if you go and just take a nice whack this way and nice whack this way and one more and the thing goes down. As you said, I've been thinking about trees a lot this week. What we need to do is humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. God, give me the power so I can do the work you've called me. First Peter 5, 5 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God loves it when we admit, I just don't have it. Now, I'm going to clarify something real clearly. I can hear the difference between whether it is an honest admission that you don't have it and, well, I just can't do what God wants me to do. That is not humbling yourself. In fact, that's an insult to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the head, not the tail. You are above, not beneath. You are seated in the heavenly places. He who raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is working and living inside of you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not humility. Humility is when you sit there and say, but God, I don't, I don't know what happened. I've sinned, I've broken something, I've done something. Going around saying, well, I just can't do it. That's not humility. You are insulting this living, creative God who says, I want to flow my life through you. And you need to repent of that too. And that's okay. Because we need more grace and God gives the grace. At least that's what I found in my life. To admit that something is missing from our ministry. To admit that we're just not as effective as we used to be. To admit that his power working in through us isn't there. I know scripturally there's times for corporate intercession and corporate repentance, but this is an individual thing. We need to come to God individually and say, God, for me, for me and myself, something is wrong. See, the kingdom, at least for my discovery, is the kingdom, the way up is the way down. The more you continue to break your own self and your own heart and your own will and admit that you need God, the more God seems to use you. It's the only way it works. I have no confidence in my flesh. I have no confidence in my ability. But I have confidence in Jesus. I have confidence in his word. I have confidence in his name. I have confidence in what Jesus Christ can do inside of me. I have confidence in the name of Jesus. That's the confession he wants. That's what he's looking for. This man came back. He turns to the prophet and he says, listen, I've missed it. I've missed Mark. I've lost my axe head. I, I don't have the power anymore. This man was a milling. I love this. This man was willing to admit he lost the power. You notice he didn't change churches when he lost the power. He didn't change jobs when he lost the power. He didn't go and say, my friend gave me a bum axe. He didn't blame the axe manufacturer. He didn't blame the prophet and say, well, you should have done a better job teaching me before you sent me out there. He didn't blame the person who had the vision to go out there in the first place. He did not go around making excuses. He made changes. He says, God, I've lost it. He went to the man of God and said, I've lost my axe head. The axe was borrowed and trusted him. Do you realize that? This guy understood it. It was borrowed. You have borrowed power. Each one of us will give an account for what we did with the powered power that we were given. Jesus tells in Matthew 25 the story of the parable of the talents. He says, every single one of us, 
Every single one of us will give an account for what was given to us. You have borrowed power, borrowed borrowed gifts. You have children that are borrowed to you. You have places and neighborhoods and situations. Oh, we love to say there's there's no um, U-Haul at the end of a hearse when it goes to the funeral. You know why? Because God already has the account of what he gave you, and you will give an account. Jesus goes further and says, for every idle word, you will give an account. This man stopped and said, I have to give an account for this because it's borrowed, and I've lost it. And I'm not going to blame anybody else. I was the one using it when it happened. He went to the man of God and he said, I admit I need your help. I need you to help me get back the power. I need you to help me get back my spiritual edge. I need you to help me get out of this situation I am and get back to where I'm supposed to be and continue to do the work that God's called me to do. Thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God that we're we're able to go to people and say, would you help me get this thing back? Thank God for the fivefold, the pastors, the teachers, the prophets, the evangelists, the apostles that come alongside of you in an effort to lay hands on you, in an effort to come alongside and teach you and equip you and exhort you. Thank God for the different spiritual gifts we saw manifest in the church today here. The love of the Father exhorting you. Something's missing. Press in deeper. Verse 6, Elijah looks at him and says, where did it fall? Do you notice Elijah does not... Uh, criticized the man? He simply asked the question, where did it fall? Elijah didn't say, how could you be so careless? I saw you sleeping in class the day I covered how to take care of axes, how to take care of your anointing, how to keep it sharp. If you were awake, I already taught you the message. I already gave you the lesson plan. How could you be so stupid? He doesn't do that. Not once. He responds to him and simply asks the question, where did it fall? Where was the last place you were effective? Where was the last place that you knew the anointing was? Where was the last place that you knew that God was doing something in your life? When was the last place that you were at when you knew that God was using you, that you knew that he had called you, that you knew that he wanted to do something in your life? That's where you dropped the axe head. It wasn't up the river. It wasn't down the river. The axe head was exactly where he had dropped it. And some of you are at a place that you're saying, God, did you leave? God didn't leave. Nothing has changed. But you need to go back and figure out with the Holy Spirit, where was the last place? Where did I drop my axe head? Where was the place? We need to get back to the place of desperation, as that song said. We need to get back to the place when, when you heard the name of Jesus Christ and it thrilled you. And you couldn't read enough of his word. And it consumed you. Not just you read it, it consumed you. And you made changes in your life. And you were desperate for God, but you were also in love with God. When you, when you Every single day you'd get up and say, I need you every hour. Moment by moment, I need you. I'm desperate for you. The Lord really convicted me of this. I had really busy schedule in the last few weeks. And I found myself remembering a year ago, because I spent a whole year on sabbatical, just laying on my face before the Lord and spending time with the Lord and worship and prayer, and I found myself saying, oh, wow, I was razor sharp then. Lord, have I moved away from that? See, I figured out this. You'll never grow beyond your last act of disobedience. You catch that? God doesn't just graduate us and move us on and say, well, you know, so you don't know how to write circumlocution, it's not a big deal. We'll just move on. God does not allow us to do that. We'll never grow beyond our last act of disobedience. And God does not just 
slide things over. He doesn't grade on the curve. Why? Because we're being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And he's setting things right. And he isn't based on your theology. And it's not based on your religion. And it's not based on your experience. Can I tell you where he's taking us back to? There was a relationship lost in the garden. And Jesus Christ came to bring us back to that place. A place of position. A place of righteousness. A place of position where we ate from, not the tree of knowledge and good and evil, but from the tree of life. And Jesus Christ shed his blood to get us back to that place. And so many of us... Part of the position that we've fallen out where we don't feel the anointing, we don't feel the power, we don't feel the presence of God, is you're still living as though you're sitting eating out of the tree of knowledge and evil. Jesus said you search the scriptures and then you think you find life, but life comes from me and me alone. I'm the tree of life. I'm the bread of life. Eat from me. And we go and say, well, that's a nice verse. What else you got? We'll never grow beyond our last act of disobedience. Disobedience is anything where we're not following the will of God. If we read something in here and we say, well, I don't know if I agree with that, that's disobedience. It really is. And it's much easier to go and say, God, I don't understand this. Your word says it's true. Help me to understand this. And go into someone and say, would you help me to open this up? Because I really want to believe this. Why? Because God said, you know. Even though you may not feel like it, I'm telling you this. And this is the good news of today. God wants to restore the power. You may feel like God can't use you again. God wants to use each one of us again. Do you know that God is most glorified when the life of Jesus Christ is living fully in us? If Jesus came to bring life and life abundance, then God is most glorified when we're living there. He takes no glory in the fact that we're walking around half-serving him, having a double-mindedness, going from sin to forgiveness to sin to forgiveness. God's not interested in that. God's interested in using us. So if God's interested in using us and he's most glorified, why would he suddenly just toss you aside because you blew it? He's not going to. So God is the one who wants to restore it and says, yeah, I know. I'm glad you admitted that you're missing this. I want to help you again. I'm going to help put the head back on. and we're going to put the wedge in tight and we're going to make sure that thing doesn't fall off. You may not be able to feel it and it may not resonate inside your heart right away, but I'm telling you this, God's not done with you. Romans 11:29 says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Ephesians 2:10 says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Remember the power is not inside you, it's his power. He's got a purpose. He has a plan for your life, and if he's got a plan for your life, he's going to continue to work with us until we get there. He's not giving up. This is not about God saying, "Yeah, you know what? I I, I just want to let you know You're useless. You have no power. It's about God saying, what's missing in your life, I want to bring once again. God entrusts each one of us with tasks to do and then enables us with the power to do it. To heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. How many here have done that stuff yet? You should be. You're a Christian. Oh, wow. God expects us to do this stuff? Yeah. God expects us to do this stuff if the opportunity presents itself. How many have had opportunities and ran from them because you were afraid? Or it's like, oh, oh I don't know what to do. All believers, all authority I have given you because it's a finished work. When we, we'd ever figure out what this really was accomplished, I'm telling you this, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. We're called to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captive, to recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is our mandate. 
This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is why we were given the axe with the head for. We're called to do it. But we need to commit to take better care of the axe. We need to make sure that this wedge is put in real tight inside of there. Before we use it, how do we do that? By spending time with God in worship and prayer and study and fasting and praying in the Holy Ghost. I'd love to see this church elevate that one up more than anything else, selfishly. I'd love to see us get back into the time of worshiping the Lord and praying in the Holy Spirit. Because it's during those times when we're drawing close to God, it's during those times where he sharpens us and hones us and shapes us and fastens in the way. So all of a sudden we take that thing. It's a clean cut and it's an effective work because it's his work. It's his power. It's his authority. I love this one. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we must give earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest they drift away. Another version says, lest they fall away. We must give the earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest they slip away. All those times that God's spending in intimacy, it's, it's to spend time with him to know him, but it's to go and to hone that thing that we're tightly knit to him. He's the vine, we're the branches. Now let me tell you this. In my observation, I don't think this man lost this overnight. I don't. From one who has done both cutting with an axe and has done ministry, because they're parallel right now in the illustration, there's times where I thought, let's do one more axe, and I can hear that thing cracked, and it's like, I bet you I can get through it. And I know the handle's going to break. I know it's going to bust. It's been the same thing in ministry. You go and you say, it's okay, I'll get through this one. I'll get by this one. I know I didn't pray up. I know I didn't seek God enough, but I'm just going to press in and do it anyway. And we know it's wrong, and we know it's about to slip off there. This man must have felt it slipping. This man must have gone and continued to get into compromise. This man did not pick up the thing and make sure that was securely attached. If we're going to be used by God, and again, he wants to use each one of us, then we've got to make a commitment to say, God, give me the ax head back, and I'll cooperate with you on whatever you want to do to make sure that thing is securely attached to it. We need to be consecrated. I believe that the men and the women of old, that when you read about the revivalists, the great things that they did is because they were consecrated to God. They were sold out to him. They understood that he was the lover of their soul, and the lover of their soul wanted to be with them. They were men and women who were willing to get up at 3 in the morning, go lay out in the middle of the field or the forest like Brainerd did, just to seek God on behalf of the nation. There were people sold out. You didn't have to beg them to come to church. You didn't have to go and set up a program for them to read scriptures. They just did it. You didn't have to tell them they need to fast and tithe and do it. They were consecrated to God and said, God, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Nobody had to tell them that they needed to pray. No one ever had to tell them they had to seek God. They could look around the nation and see how terrible it was. Nobody had to tell them that. If we're going to do the things that God's called us to do, then we've got to go and find yourself in a position of reconsecration or else we're going to end up continuing whacking at the tree, the assignment given to us, and wondering why we're not seeing the power of God and wondering why people aren't getting saved and wondering why people aren't being healed and wondering why we've lost our axe head. And I sure hope that everyone looks around and you see I'm doing the work for God and I'm being effective for God and I'm being, I'm being used by God. Or we can stop and say, God, I'm tired of the results I've got. In fact, this thing is so worn down from hitting the tree because it hasn't had an axe for a while. God, could we just stop? God, Father, could we just stop? Could you reposition me today 
today, could you re-equip me today? And, and if I got the head on there, Father, could you, could you re-sharpen it today? I, I'm, t- I'm tired of God of playing religious games with you. I'm tired of not seeing my friends get saved. I'm tired of laying hands and not seeing people get healed. Could we just stop, Dad? Could we stop? Could you help me? Could you? Hardest thing for a kid to do, and we'll strike this from tape. My kids are all adults. The hardest thing I saw my kids to do was to come up and say, would, would you help me? Because they get to the point where they know everything, and they don't need your help. We're the same way. And I'm really speaking to the mature ones in this room. We get to that point where we know everything in God. And it's really hard for us to go back and say, Dad, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm ineffective. Would you, would you do that? That's where revival starts. That's where renewal starts. That's where transformation starts. That's where all of a sudden God says, as he's sitting there and fashioning and putting the head back on us, remind us of what we're going to. Remind us of where we're headed to. Remind us, and he starts speaking to us in dreams and visions and purposes once again. We cannot have his power apart from his presence. We must reverence his presence. We must be surrendered to him. We must be yielded. Paul was yielded to him. Paul said, I love this in Acts 9, 6. Trembling, this is when the Lord first appeared to him. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord says, arise and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Paul was a man who was yielded to God. And the results, Acts 19, 12 says, even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left and the evil spirits went out. To me, it's not an equation, but it's pretty simple. We're either yielded to God or else we're not. I want to get my power from God. I want to be trustworthy once again to hold the axe handle with the head on it. I want to do the things God's called me to do. I want to be in the position where God can do whatever he wants through me and in me. And because he is powerful. Elijah asked a simple question and said, where'd you lose it? And then if you read this, he used the power gifts to get the thing back up. He took a stick and threw it in the water. And I love the King, old King James Version because, and it says the axe head swam, which is literally what it means in the Hebrew. It didn't just float, it swam. God did a miracle through Elijah as he went in and asked for help. Verse 7, Elijah says, pick it up. Elijah raised it up, but he expected the man to take the axe head and go do something with it. I love you very much, but it's incredibly frustrating when people come up for prayer and they expect you to fix everything. I can't talk you into healing. I can't talk you into changing. I've heard people go after getting prayer and even doing Bible study, contradict what we just read and said and studied and sang about with their own word, explain to me how God can't do it. Elijah raised the head up, but he says, you pick it up. You pick up the power and the anointing and the gifts that God's given you. We have an individual work to do. That's not a rebuke. That's an exhortation to say, press into the things of God, but, but it's your calling. Maybe my calling is to exhort you to pick up the thing. Maybe it's my calling to throw the stick in there and raise the thing up there. Maybe it's my calling to help teach you on there, but it's your anointing from God to do. We all have a work to do. Do you understand that? Back of your bolts and says every member's a minister. I don't know what God's called you to do, but we're all called. I, I don't know. When I heard that first thing we came to church, I thought, that's exciting. I mean, I already was an ordained minister. I was a pastor. But it was, to me, that's an exciting thing to understand that everyone in this room is called to do something for God. This is exciting. What's God calling you to do? How do I come along and encourage you and cheer for you? Teach you, equip you, change you. God brings it back, but you have a part to play. Let God work to you. Because then you know what happens? The real consecration takes place. There's that real commitment that takes place to saying, God, 
I'm going to inspect this every day. God, I'm going to make sure this thing is attached every day. God, am I still connected to you? Every day. My guess is that man became more committed to make sure that axe was inspected once that power got back. I know I would every time an axe head is broken off mine. I pound that thing in every single time. I'm taking a thing and I'm hitting the head down and I'm ready for the next swing and I'm hitting it down the next swing. I learned that from my hockey games. That's why. So how do we get the power? This is the part we were singing about today. Worship team, be ready. Not yet. Acts 1.6. You shall receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we wait. We sang about it. We said we're desperate to wait for you. But I'm telling you, honestly, most of us are really hoping we get through the song. It would have been real uncomfortable. Let's just be honest. It would have been real uncomfortable if all of a sudden everyone kept standing up and said, we need to sing it again. We need to sing it again. We need to sing it again. Waiting is hard. Spending a year sitting in my office for a person who's type A and, well, we never had names for people like me back then. Now they do. Now everyone has a label for what's wrong with them. It's very hard. It's very hard, but it was such a good discipline for me to learn to wait on the Lord and to hear his voice and to wake me up with songs every morning and to speak to me through his word and to speak to me as worship. And then this thing became alive for me like it's never been in my whole life. We need to wait. You wait. You wait until the Holy Spirit comes. You wait until you're empowered. Not manufacture power. Not make up power. Not do your own work. I'm going to wait. Very hard, Mo and Marla, when you stepped out of an opportunity and you left a homeland to come to the west side of St. Paul and then everything seemed to shut down, there had been a 15-year wait for you suddenly to start pressing into what's next for you, right? It's hard to wait. It's hard to watch your daughter wait. It's hard for Julie Thompson to wait. It's hard for many people in this church to wait for what the next assignment is. But if we don't wait there, then the power doesn't come, right? And the anointing doesn't come. And other people don't come alongside of what God wants you to do. Because in the process, God checks our motives and says, why do you want my power? What's behind your asking? Why do you want to do those things? Why do you want to cast out devils? Why do you want to heal the sick? God starts working on our motives. This passage from Acts 18, so 8, sobers me up. Simon saw that they were laying hands of the apostles, were laying hands, and the Holy Spirit was given. He offered to pay money to them and says, give me this power that whoever I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. It seems like a good thing. Give me the Holy Spirit so I can do the work. But God didn't give it to him because he knew the motivation of his heart was wrong. He wasn't interested in doing God's work as much as he wanted to continue to do his financial thing that he had long before he ever heard about the Christians and saw what God was doing. God has a purpose for our lives, but he's going to check your motivation. Why do you want me to put it back on? And God deals with us. Personally, he continues to deal with me on this thing and saying, why do you want it back? What are you looking for it for? Brother, I know you've got to deal with that as you come back to this country. And God establishes the church, and he says, why? And all of a sudden, that dream comes back up, and we realize what God's called us and say, I've got a purpose. I've got a destiny. And God, if you don't let me do it, and you don't give me the anointing, I can't do what you sent me for. And God says, good. So I make sure that was right. Because that's my dream, and that's my purpose. And that's why I'm putting it back on you, and that's what I've been doing this whole thing. See, it's a whole lot easier, because then you walk out in a confidence, and you say, who gave you a handle? Who gave you that axe handle? How dare you say that, well, the gods give me the power. I'll tell you about how God gave me the power. And there's a humbleness in the broken, but there's also an authority that rises up and says, 
go ahead and try to mess with my authority, you're going to start messing with the authority of God. Worship team, come on up here. The more God releases his power, the more we must pray to change and become like Jesus. Let me tell you this. If you really want the power gifts, then you're going to have to become like Jesus. But here's the good news of that. Jesus Christ wants to make you like him. Do you hear what I said? He who began a good work will complete it. This is not about you pulling up by your own efforts trying to change to become something God wants you to be. It's about saying, to me, this is really good news. To know that he's the vine and I'm the branches, that's good news. To know that the Father is, let me, let me go a little bunny trail here. In John 15, who's doing the pruning in that story? The Father is. The Father is the vine worker. Who's the vine? It's Jesus. So who's he pruning, you or me? No, he's pruning Jesus. What? The Father is doing the pruning on the vine. That is such a good work to know he's doing all the work. What are our part? We just hook on to him and hang on for dear life. We hold each other and says, well, if we die, we die together. We just hang on there knowing he's going to do work. I, I read that this week and I said, praise God, I don't have to do anything except cooperate with what you're doing. Everything I'm talking about today is about what God wants to do with us. It's not about us having to figure out how to make it work. It's about saying, well, that makes sense why he's allowing certain things into my life. That's why I really believe the Lord spoke to Jeremy and said, you need to get the mind of Christ. Metonea is not about, I just love whoever said, Metonea is not about going this direction and turning around. That's not scripture. The Greek word for Metonea talks about changing the way you think. Every time he says repent, he was saying change the way you think not go this direction. It's been mistranslated. When they're talking about going this direction and changing and going another, your thought is going the wrong direction. Change your thought and line it up with what God says. Change the way you think. We are schizophrenic. We have the mind of Christ and the carnal mind, and God is saying, enough. You need to get my mind. Oh, God, I don't know how to get it. That's right. Let me do that. Let me bring it. Confidence that he will begin a good work. Let's pray. Father, if you'll give me, if you will give me an opportunity, I, I want to admit to you, I've lost my power. It's dull, it's been weak, it's been ineffective. But if you'll let me, Father, and you'll bring back the power, Lord, I, I admit, I'll do a better job of cooperating with you to keep it attached. Father, I want to do the work that you called me to do. I want to complete the task and the assignment you've given me as an individual to do. Father, I want to see Jesus lifted up over my life and honored and glorified. Father, I want to be changed for your glory. Can you say amen? amen. Jesus, we thank you for this church. We thank you, Father, for what you've been doing. We thank you for the different people that you've brought through to, to, to talk about people, men and women in the Bible, of stories that you've done. You've been, you've been weaving a tapestry this last six months. You've been teaching and speaking to us, and you've been trying to show us how to press in to press into the things you've called us to dream about. Father, you've been trying to exhort us to listen to your voice. You have been speaking clearly through Pastor Jim that this is a year to dream. We thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're going to do. But we desire the manifestation of your power and anointing. Lord, we are, we're tired of people wanting prayer and not seeing results. Father, we're tired of seeing areas of immaturity in our own lives and brokenness and fracturedness. God, we admit to you, we've been, we've been whacking at the tree with our axe handles. 
missing the anointing. But, Father, we believe that if you're going to do something in this church and through us in us, then it's going to take your anointing. We ask that you would give it. You said we could ask for whatever. We ask right now that you would once again re-equip us, resend your spirit to speak to us, re-baptize us in your Holy Spirit, Father. You came in Acts 2, and then you came in Acts 4, and you shook the place. Shake us, Lord, to the very core being. We're pressing into more of you. If we could dream dreams, we'd love to see people whole and healthy and in the right mind. We'd love to see restoration of relationships and, and marriages and, and security and hope. We'd love to see the, the damage that was done by people who've been out of work and that what it does to the psyche or the soul of feeling unworthy. We'd love to see us restored to position, Father, by your spirit as sons and daughters and understand what that really means. We'd love to have that, that heart for those people who have not been able to reproduce spiritually or physically, a hope that you're still not done with us. Father, we just thank you for what you want to do with this church. And so we commit to you, Father, our lives, that the next six months as we continue to press into what you've called us to do as a house, what you've called us to do as a body, in this year to dream dreams, that we cooperate with you. I pray, Father, for levels of hope to come up, levels of, of anticipation for what you're going to do. In excitement even, Father. I pray right now, Father, in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, that once again you'd restore dreams, that you once again reactivate dreams. You'd wake up people in the night, you'd speak through movies, you'd speak through newspapers, you'd speak through people, that once again, Father, we'd get back on track to what you called us to do. We know that you have ordered our steps, so you brought us to this place today. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do, and we look forward to how we will glorify your name throughout all the earth as your, as your presence rests in us. Help us to be good stewards of the power you give us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you're not standing, I'd just like to invite you to stand. I can pray for blessing over you. This is from Jude. I'll read something from Jude in Ephesians. It says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, present you faultless before the presence of the glory and joy, with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Ephesians sees, Paul writes, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly above all we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. Unto him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ, world without end. As you leave this place, I really pray that the Lord would bless and keep you, that he would make his face shine upon you, and that he would grant you his peace. I pray that as you leave this place, you would go equipped and trained and blessed, knowing that your God goes with you. If God be for us, who could be against us? I pray that the Lord would be continue to walk with you the rest of this day, and that you would know of his presence, and that you'd hear his voice, and be continue to be guided by his steps. In Jesus' name, amen.